Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And in Hebrews 13.8, it says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, forever. He doesn't change. We're so blessed to have the Lord Jesus Christ as our intercessor. Now, I know this is hard to imagine, but just imagine what it would be like for us to to have the Lord Jesus Christ as our intercessor only for a limited period of time. And after that, we no longer have him as our intercessor. We'd be terrified. We'd be 100% terrified. And sometimes, you know the problem with us, sometimes we just get lulled into taking for granted all that the Lord Jesus has done for us, you know, Eternal security, once saved, always saved, you know, interceding, always interceding, and we kind of fall asleep on that. And it's so easy for us to fall into the category of the nine lepers who were cleansed by the Lord, and they didn't even turn back, didn't even turn around and give them thanks. But if we lost the Lord Jesus as our intercessor, you know, if the Lord said to us, I'm sorry, but I've got others who need my help, so I'm going to stop representing you, and i got to go and, and, and stop being your intercessor, We'd be terrified if, if that happened. Like in the case that happened to us as a company where the company was trying to kill us, another company was trying to kill us as a company. You know who I'm talking about. And our law firm at that time told us a few weeks before the trial where we had already paid them millions and millions of dollars, and they said that, uh, okay, now we're going to double what we told you it was going to cost in the trial. sometimes I couldn't tell if we were more at war with the people suing us or with our own law firm. But anyways, this is what happened. And then they said, now, if you refuse and you don't agree, what they did, what they did to us is they drew up what's called papers for petition to withdraw. Withdraw. They can't just back out. They got to go to the judge and ask for that. And they threatened to give those papers of withdrawal to the judge who was the judge just a few weeks before the trial that had already been like five years of preparing for if we didn't agree to the new demand for the extra money. We were so terrified, we caved. We caved and we agreed to pay them the higher amount for the trial. But I remember how terrifying it was to read those papers for with the request for withdrawal from the case that they weren't going to represent us anymore. Now, what if the Lord Jesus sent us papers like that? You know, papers of withdrawal. And it said that, you know, that yes, in the past he had represented us to the Father, but now he's going to withdraw from, from representing us, which of course he will never do. But, but, but that should never stop us for, from thanking him for constantly not withdrawing from being our intercessor. And, I mean, for sure, that's not easy for the Lord to keep on with, keep on representing us. And we can picture the Lord in heaven 
you know, sometimes with, with what we put him through is he puts his head on his forehead and he says, what in the world? I can't believe it. This it again? Here we go again. More chastening, more correction, more pain. When will they ever learn? And, you know, there are angels that the Lord assigns to take care of each one of us. The Lord Jesus talked about those angels when he was talking about children. In Matthew 18.10, Matthew 18.10, he said, Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. There are angels that are personally responsible for us. And we get to heaven and meet them. We can imagine how those angels are going to say, you just about wore me out. <laughs> you know? I'm glad you didn't live to 100 years old in heaven, or as I think I would have died taking care of you. What were you thinking? And, and, we, and we think that nobody else sees us here on earth. But if our angels, you know, maybe our angels at times wanted to come to God and say, that's it, I quit. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to, this taking care of him is too much. Helping him get all this filth of his sin, it's not in my job description. It's over the top, you know. <laughs> but even if angels wanted to withdraw from us, the Lord will never withdraw from us. And just imagine if the Lord were to withdraw from being our intercessor and withdraw from helping us, how terrifying that would be for us. And we'd feel We'd feel, what we would feel like is the picture of these brothers right here as when it says there, the word saw in, in verse 15. When, the, when Joseph's brethren saw that their angel, that their father was dead. See, that was Joseph's brothers receiving the letter of withdrawal from their father Jacob, where, where in essence, the letter from withdrawal from their father Jacob said, sorry, sons, but I'm withdrawing from interceding for you to Joseph. I'm no longer your representative to Joseph. You're on your own. You have to represent yourself before Joseph. Terrifying. Terrifying for them. Just terrifying. And that's why the brothers went into this overdrive with their with 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 with, with probably propping up Benjamin to go go plead for them with their concocted story of what Jacob said before he died. For some reason he never told anybody else that. And when the brothers did that, they were trying to bring Jacob out of the grave. And they were trying to hold up Jacob to Joseph and say, and say, and, and they would say, see, your, your brother, you, you, see Joseph, your father is speaking even though he's dead. He's telling you to forgive us. It's like the brothers have gotten Joseph out of the grave and they put some sunglasses on him and they're propping him up and they, you know, it's just like weekended Bernie's. This is weekended Jacob's. It's pretty desperate. It's pretty desperate. But desperate people do desperate things. And that's what the brothers are doing here because the brothers saw that when they lost Jacob, they lost a powerful mediator in Jacob and they felt so exposed and so vulnerable. So these brothers saw Joseph as we see God the Father and they saw Jacob as we see the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it had been a long time since the brothers were really separated from Joseph. I mean, 17 years old, he's, you know, it's, it's like an eternity, and now they're, they're seeing him. And we can imagine how they thought to themselves, you know, we really don't know Joseph. You know, we've been separated, you know, for so long. I mean, we know Jacob. We, we were never separated with him. but So we know Jacob really well, but we don't really know Joseph now. He's so different, looks Egyptian, all these things. Well, in the same way, we don't really know very much about God the Father. We don't. 
And from the, when we read the Bible, we don't know very much about God the Father, just as they didn't know very much about Joseph, but just as those brothers knew that they needed an intercessor. They knew Jacob. They needed an intercessor between them and Joseph. So we know we need an intercessor between us and God the Father. In the same way, we know a lot about the Lord Jesus Christ from the Bible, and we value the Lord Jesus, our intercessor, just as the brothers knew a lot about Jacob, because they were never separated from Jacob. They valued Jacob as their intercessor. But Joseph now sees the desperation in their heart. He feels the fear that they have, and he speaks to them in, in verse 19. Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God. And that was an opportunity for Joseph to say, first of all, to say to himself, you know, well, 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 look what we have here, you know, I think I'm just going to just have them sweat it out a little bit just to make sure they're good and repentful and just to make sure they never think about doing what they did to me again. Now, if Joseph would have done that, that would have been Joseph getting into God's place, and that was not up to Joseph to chasten his brothers. The Bible says in Hebrews 12.6, Hebrews 12.6, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. He chastens and teaches lessons and corrects, not Joseph. And Joseph saw that. Chastening, punishment were not in his place to do. That was God's place. So he says in verse 19, am I in the place of God? But what Joseph did when he saw them in great fear is he said to them in verse 21, verse 21, now therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. He's comforted them. He spake kindly unto them. So instead of chastening, he says, I will nourish you. And that was love. That was a perfect love. That was a perfect example of 1 John 4.18. 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment, and he that feareth is not made perfect in love. Which is what the Lord Jesus did for us. When we deserved hell, when we deserve being cast into hell, that's why the next verse in that First John 4 chapter, First John 4, uh, next verse after 18, First John 4, 18, First John 4, 19, First John 4, 19 says, we love him because he first loved us. Now, the Lord loved us because it says in Romans 5, 8, Romans 5, 8, God commendeth his love toward us in that while during while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So the Lord didn't say, okay, well now, we need to teach you a lesson. We're gonna send you down to a place where you will be purged from all these evil evil in you. We're gonna call that purgatory. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as purgatory. That's not in the Bible. That was invented by man. and Or, or some, some among Jewish scholars, they say that hell only lasts for a year after death. And, and that's, again, it's an invention of man. The Bible doesn't say that at all. It doesn't appear in the Bible. Now, what happened, of course, that when we came to the Lord, we felt so unworthy. We felt as unworthy as the prodigal son, who it says in Luke 15, 21, Luke 20, 15, 21, the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. And we, and we came to the Lord like that. 
We came to the Lord as a, a feeling like the prodigal son. We came to the Lord as feeling so unworthy as the publican in the temple in Luke 18.13. In Luke 18.13, where it says, the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But like Joseph, the Lord was like the father of the prodigal son, who says in, in Luke 15, 22, Luke 15, 22, the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, bring hither the fatted calf, kill it, let us eat and be merry. This my son was dead, is alive again. He was lost, is found. And like Joseph, the Lord said unto the publican, the Lord said about the publican, in Luke 18, 14, Luke 18, 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. He that humbles himself shall be exalted. So now Joseph got that about God and, and, and how God was the one who, who loves to encourage. God doesn't like to discourage. He likes to encourage, which, which is why God says in, in, in Ezekiel 33, 11, Ezekiel 33, 11, Say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from ye evil ways. Why will you die, O house of Israel? So God's saying here, it doesn't make me happy to cast the wicked into hell. What makes me really happy is to see the wicked turn and be saved from hell. It's like my atheist friend when I was in London, I told you this from when he saw when we saw the Uber cab got lost coming to us, and he said, Jesus. And I now I could have rebuked him for taking the Lord's name in vain, but instead I, I said, I said, excellent. Very good. You're calling on the name of the Lord. That's a great first step. Now all you have to do from here, just finish the prayer. Jesus saved me from my sins. But the greatest thing that the brothers got to see. When they, when they came to Joseph in the fear, in their fear was what was in his mind? What Joseph was thinking? And he shows us what is in his mind in verse 20. Verse 20. When his mind is just opened up to them, he said, but as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now, the great part about Joseph, what he said in that verse, is it, 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 it is that he he was he was he saw how the brothers used their minds in this ongoing activity that he lived through. It was like nonstop. Uh, 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 they were always planning evil against Joseph, plotting against him, and he saw that they were constantly engaged in this planning and this plotting. For, for, to, to, to do him evil, for his destruction. And, and what, but what was more important to Joseph was how God was also engaged in an ongoing. He was not stopping. God was also not stopping in his planning and his plotting, not only to save Joseph, but to save many people alive. Isn't that wonderful about God? I mean, just the idea of the constantness of it all, that God is constantly engaged in planning and plotting to save people alive. You know, as it says in the end of verse 19, to save much people alive. So when the Lord opens up his mind and shows us what he's thinking about, 
which is what he's doing in Luke 19.10. Luke 19.10, when he said, the Son of Man is come to seek and save, and to save that which was lost. That means that this is what God is doing. This is what is occupying God's hours. You know, there's, and, and by the way, there's no such thing as waking hours with God because the Bible says in Psalm 121.3, Psalm 121.3, he will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. So the brothers had to sleep. But, but, and, and, and so that's a time when at least they couldn't be planning and plotting Joseph's destruction while they were asleep. But God has the advantage over the brothers because he doesn't sleep. He never gets tired. And so he never stops continuing to plan and to plot to save people around the clock, which is what God is doing. And he says that in Jeremiah 29 11, Jeremiah 29 11, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. Now, so this last part of verse 20 where Joseph says to save much people alive, that shows us what God is interested in. It shows that God is interested in saving people from their sins. He's interested in saving people from being cast into hell. That means when you and I set our interest in people being saved and not being cast into hell, then we're interested in the same thing God's interested in. And that means when you and I give our efforts to seeing people be saved from being cast into hell, then we're on the same page as God. We're on the same page as God. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to run into a lot of opposition and trouble. We may run into a lot of, we will run into a lot of opposition from the devil. But I'd rather have the, the opposition from Satan and be on the same page as God and working together with God rather than to not have the opposition of the devil and not be on the same page as God and not be working together with God. We face a lot of opposition, let me tell you, especially when it comes to bringing the gospel to the Jewish people. I've oftentimes thought the Muslims would be easier. But God's heart is seen toward the Jewish people. This is his page in Psalm 137.5, Psalm 137.5. If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. In Isaiah 62.1, Isaiah 62.1. For Zion's sake will I not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. And then he says, he's so interested in this. God says that he's, he's assigned others. He says in, in Isaiah 62.6, Isaiah 62.6, 62.6. I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day nor night. Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence and give him no rest till he establish, until he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. So if you want to ask the question, what is, what is it that keeps God up at night, but he doesn't go to sleep? So what is it that God has no peace about? What is it that's disturbing to God? What is it that, that gives God unrest? He said, he said, until, until the Jewish people are saved. He will not. He says, and, and he's asking others to don't let him rest. Don't let him have peace. He says, give him no rest till he establish, until he make Jerusalem a praise on the earth. This is what he's saying here. He said, I will not hold my peace. I will not rest. God says in Isaiah 62, 1, until the righteousness thereof go forth in his brightness for Zion's sake and salvation. Okay. Now, 
It's a very difficult passage, a very difficult passage in Romans 11 to understand. And, 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 and our summer blitzers really struggled with this the year before last. I mean, last year. And, and, and it's, it's Romans 11, 11. Romans 11, 11, 11, 11 says this. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather through their fall, salvation is coming to the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentile, how much more their fullness? So like, like I said, last year, the uh, summer blitzers were kind of saying, oh, I see, God, God caused them to fall so that salvation can come to us. Well, that was good of God to cause them to fall. Now, and then on the surface, it looks like that. On the surface, Romans 11, 11 looks like you could say, okay, on the surface, it looks like God made Israel to fall away from God so that the Gentiles could come to God. I mean, that would be uh, ascribing something to God, which is actually evil, an evil intention to God. It would be a wrong view of the so-called sovereignty of God. Not that there's any wrong views anyway. So how are we to understand this? Romans 11, 11, through their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Well, the way you understand it is verse 20 in our passage here, Genesis 50, verse 20, where, because this gives us the understanding of through their, through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles. Because when it says in verse 20, Genesis 50, verse 20, when it says, but as for you, you thought evil against me as it is, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. What do you think about that? All right. So here are the brothers, they thought evil against Joseph, they wanted to kill him. And, and, and they were constantly plotting and planning, looking for their opportunity the, the, to, to, until the finally the day come when they said, this dreamer cometh, okay. Now, did God cause the brothers to envy and hate Joseph? Not at all. That was 100% the responsibility of the brothers, and God had nothing to do with their decision to hate Joseph. God had nothing to do with the brothers' decision to, to want to murder Joseph. And, and, and the brothers were really cursing Joseph. They were cursing Joseph. Now, that curse uh, uh, of the brothers is what Joseph described when he said, but as for you, you thought evil against me. Now, but what, did, what, but what God did was that he took the brothers' curse against Joseph and he turned it into a blessing. By causing the brother's decision to sell Joseph as a slave, that, 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 that would result in the final outcome in verse 19, Genesis 50 verse 19, of to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. So that was God taking the curse and turning it into a blessing. And that's what God is in the business of doing. He is in the business of taking a curse and turning it into a blessing, which can be seen in the history of Balaam and Israel. You know, Balaam was like a witch doctor for the Moabites, and Balak, Balak was the king of the Moabites. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. 
You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Reach Israel. Join Tom Cantor for the second annual Israel Restoration Ministries Jewish Evangelism and Training Conference in San Diego, California, February 22nd and 23rd at the Creation and Earth History Museum. Early bird registration, only $99, includes a two-day conference pass, meals, teaching, creation museum, and tabernacle admission, plus over $150 worth of equipping resources. Come hear Tom Cantor, Dr. Michael Brown, Dan Sered, and more on how we can reach the lost in America and Israel on February 22nd and 23rd. Call 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104 or sign up at reachisrael.com That's reachisrael.com What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30pm at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 